Shall we begin? Why not? Welcome to Frankie Sense and More. It's like she's got a whole lot of goodness for you with a little bit of sass. Frankie, did you just say... She sure did. Not to mention, along with... Whoops. Join us now as Frankie Picasso and her new co-host mix it up with authors, musicians, and interviews with world-changing people. Let's begin Okay, let's begin now, because it only makes sense. What? We are live. <laughs> there we go. Hello there, and welcome to Frankie Sense and More. My guest today is Teresa de Grabois, and Teresa is the number one international best-selling author of Mass Influence, The Habits of Highly Influential, which has now been a bestseller in seven countries for several years. As a founder and chair of the Evolutionary Business Council, Teresa works with people from around the world wanting to create grassroots change in their communities and businesses. She's a four-time best-selling author, and she believes we can shift the thinking of society just by understanding how to balance the forces of money and influence to create more impact in the world. Now, if you're like me, every day you hear someone say, I want to change the world. And if you're still like me, you notice that most won't. So today we're going to find out why. So whether you're looking to change your life or the world at large, stay tuned, stay close to this paradigm-shifting interview. Teresa, welcome. It's so great to be here. Thanks for having me, Frankie. Oh, it's my pleasure. We hear a lot about influencers and thought leaders these days, often mostly self, self-described, I think. Uh, they're an influencer on Facebook or Instagram, younger people, TikTok, things like that. So let's get to the nitty gritty. What is a thought leader? Because my understanding is you cannot self-proclaim yourself a thought leader. Others have to tell you you're a thought leader. Well, I mean, that's in general with influence, right? With credentials in general, they're always a lot more solid when other people proclaim them, right? And yet, anytime you're pushing out new ideas, new ways of thinking that expand the consciousness of humanity, that expand the way we live in healthy lifestyle, the way we think, um, even things like cryptocurrency, that was a whole new paradigm to bring in cryptocurrency, right? So anytime you're pushing out new ideas, new ways of being, new ways of thinking, you're moving into the realm of thought leadership, right? Mm-hmm. Because you're at the cutting edge of where the world is going to. That's it. Yes. So that's a thought leader. Um, always, always uh, shifting, always getting new knowledge, always gaining new knowledge and always thinking new, new ways of servicing in a way. So you have three pillars of how to change or three pillars that, that allow you to change so that you can either change yourself or you can change the world at large. Yeah. And that is to gain influence. And, and on the three pillars, I think it's, it's, uh, it's impact. Profit, profit, yeah, profit impact. impact. Those yeah, are the three yeah. pillars of really causing evolution in the world. Yeah. So let's let's talk about the influence one first. Um, you say that true influence is about service to others. Yes. Influence is when people know, like, and trust you enough that they'll take action based on your recommendations. That's all influence is, right? And so mass influence then is just a lot of people know, like, and trust you enough to take action based on your word, right? So we often confuse fame with influence, you yes. know? Um, you know, fame is a lot of people know you influences and a lot of people know, like, and trust you. Mm. Right. And, and so it's important to have that distinction because 
really we are living in a time where it's important for each of us to step up into our own leadership. We all have influence. A lot of people just aren't present to the influence that they have. They're just not aware of it. Right. And, um, and they're not using it effectively to, to improve the lives around them, the lives of their family, the community or the world at large. So if somebody was to say, well, I'd like to be an influencer. That <laughs> sounds good. I like the idea of that. What's my first step? Get people to like and trust me? Yeah, well, you know, I one of the reasons I wrote my book actually was because there's so many people that sort of have influence, but they don't really understand it or they don't know how to use it or they bump into um, mistakes in the world of influence and they don't understand why it's a mistake. And so they, you know, they curl back into their cave, right? And um, there are, you know, 10 distinct habits I talk about in my, in my book, but I think one of the, the foundational ones is authenticity, Yeah. right? And there's a lot of um, different definitions of authenticity out there. Mine is simply authenticity is just your inside voice saying the same thing as your outside voice, right? So we can actually have people we deeply disagree with, but we'll still respect them because we can tell there's no disconnect from what they believe and what they're saying, right? We respect people who have the conviction of their own beliefs behind them, you know? Um, we often talk about politicians, right? Who is like, oh my God, I hate everything that person stands for. But boy, are they ever a good orator. I can see why they're so influential, right? Right, And that's because the authenticity is there. They at least believe what they're saying. Doesn't mean we have to believe them, right? That's, we then get to decide. Yeah. But we will not trust someone. It's sort of like, you know, when you walk into a store and the salesman is saying, this is a really great product, you should buy it. And we can tell what's going on inside is, oh, God, I really need this sale. Right, right. My yeah. kidney braces. Like, we can tell that, right? And like, so people can tell for you. Do you know what I mean? We can see it in other people. People sure. can see it in you, right? It's just not that obvious. I love how Dr. Shonda Perrin talks about it. She talks about what are you broadcasting, Right. And um, it really comes down to that. What's the emotional energy of how you're speaking? That's what authenticity is. And even when somebody walks into a store, if they can learn the difference between a compliment and an acknowledgement, if they can acknowledge in an authentic way, then the trust is starting to build. But to go, yeah. oh, gee, you know, you look really good today. Well, how would you know you've never seen me before? <laughs> this might be my really crap day. I don't know. You know, I think that that's a big thing. You, um, in, in your book, Mass Influence, you... Um, had a mentor, Randy Gage, and and you said that no one, or he said, maybe it's either one of you said, no one makes it anywhere in the influence game without people who are more experienced investing in them. And I think that's really important. Yeah, absolutely. I've had many mentors, um, Randy Gage being amongst them, and, and certainly someone I'm deeply grateful for in my life. Um, you know, the world of influence, it almost operates on a pay it forward currency system, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and what you start to realize when you start dealing with the influential is um, influence is kind of like a currency, except the more you spend your own influence, the more it comes back to you. I'm going to say that again, because yeah. a lot of people are like, right? Yeah. The more you invest your influence in other people, in other words, the more you shout people out, the more you give kudos to people who deserve kudos, sure. um, the more you help others who deserve to be helped, the more influential you become, right? True. Um, think of the analogy, like if I walked into a business networking group and I stood up on a chair and said, look at me, I'm so great. I have a best-selling book, blah, you know, whatever. 
everybody would be like, oh my God, where is the door? Like, get yeah. me away from this woman, shoot me in the head, right? But if I stood up on that same chair and said, guys, Frankie Picasso just walked in the room. Oh my God, she's so awesome. You should see her show. She's got a gazillion followers on Facebook. I love everything she stands for because she's so freaking awesome. You know, A, it's true. So people would resonate with my my (laughs) authenticity, right? But B, in that moment, in the act of giving you influence, I would actually be the most influential person in the world. Yes, yes. You know, and we often don't think about that. Like the more we help others become influential, the higher our own influence goes. It's really quite fascinating. Well, I like that Randy said, if people aren't hating you, you're not being influential. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's very true. And that, I mean, you know, because I had a moment of when I was first stepping into the realm of being an influencer. And now I realize it's kind of like a sign badge, right? But if you're doing something worthwhile, you're going to be pushing people's comfort zones, Mm -hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like the world of cryptocurrency, look at all the governments that are fighting back against it. It's outside the comfort zone to give the control of money to the people, right. <laughs> you know, yeah. like, so governments are scared and they don't know how it's going to work and they want to be part of the conversation. And some governments are overreacting and others are saying, no, let's create our own cryptocurrency, but it's causing discomfort, right? Yes. New ideas, new ways of thinking, holistic medicines, another one causes a ton of discomfort. Yes. At first, the mainstream industry utterly rejected holistic medicine. Medicine, and now a lot of doctors are saying, well, there's merit to it as part of an overarching health regime, right? So you will always push people's comfort zone in the early days of new ideas or new technology. So if nobody's criticizing you, you're probably not doing anything worthwhile, you know? So you yeah. have to expect as an influencer that there are going to be people who fight against what you're teaching or what you stand for. And that's simply part of the game, right? I think there's, I'm trying to remember the expression. It's like, first they, first they dismissed us. uh, Then they ridiculed us. Then they fought us. Then they joined us. Right. Right. And that's sort of the adoption curve of when we speak about the resistance that tend to happen when we're standing for change. Right. And I think that's an old Chinese proverb or something. I can't remember where it comes from. So thought leader and influencer, are, are they interchangeable? You know, not every influencer is a thought leader, but most thought leaders are influencers. Mm -hmm. And so what do I mean by that? You know, there are people who are influencers around how do you repair your dishwasher, right? Like there are people who have YouTube channels that have 500,000 followers because they do great little repair videos, right? Yeah. But there's nothing new or edgy in the world of how to repair a dishwasher. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. Whereas thought leader is pushing out new ways of thinking, new ways of being, um, new ways of operating, right? So generally, if you're pushing that type of content out, you're in the realm of thought leadership. Um, And if people are following, then you are a thought leader. Like, so if you're an influencer in new ideas, then you're moving into the realm of thought leadership. I mean, I just keep thinking of these young girls on, you know, on YouTube and putting their makeup on and go, I'm a, I'm an influencer. Yeah. You know, you're going to yeah. have to buy this. You're going to buy that. And I keep thinking, oh, are you, are you really an influencer? I don't know. Maybe for some people. Well, in fact, they are, right? Yeah. And the interesting thing is I actually love seeing those teenage girls around the, how do you put on makeup or whatever? Um, because sometimes they realize, okay, this is how I use influence here. And then some of them grow up to be girls who mm. talk about 
women who talk about self-esteem right. and how to present yourself effectively. And then all of a sudden they're speaking about how do you tackle your inner dialogue and, and get on top of all that negative self-talk. Women are champions at, at For sure. cutting ourselves down, right? For sure. And um, so it's funny because often you see influencers who start out as light and fluffy and they're afraid to go into the edgy and push the envelope and then all of a sudden they gain their confidence about them because they are an influencer and now they're talking about healthier ways of living or better types of products to put on your face you know like even that is sort of edging into sure. hey let's talk about the new and the better you know so you know i kind of think it's okay for people to start in the world of influence on the fluffy end. Um, you know, when we were, and I don't mean to diminish some influencers, but when we were in kindergarten, we bounced the ball and everyone went, oh, look at how great you are, right? And you would never go to uh, someone with a PhD and say, oh, look at how great you are for bouncing the ball, right? But every human being has a path to walk. Sure. And the early path of leadership is um, often experimenting with being an influencer in some realm that's a little safer. I like you know? that. I like that. That's very, it's, it's a very kind way to look at the world. Mm. Yeah. So let's look at the second pillar being profit. And, you know, people who know you know you as a spiritual person. Um, people think, well, what about money? Money's not spiritual money we don't like money money is like a horrible yeah. thing um so we're not manifesting money we're making real money <laughs> in a real business yeah. way yeah. yeah yeah and you know a lot of people especially people who want to change the world have a very twisted relationship with money yeah right yeah and they've they've wound up the concept of money and greed and money and inappropriate use of power or you know, and, and they have a lot of, I would say, self-talk around money. And often we're not even aware of the self-talk we have around money. Like we might have learned things at a very young age, like money oh, is sure. the all evil, or, you know, we Maybe might have rich people live up the hill. from our parents, that there's never enough money or rich people are all greedy. Like there's yes. all kinds of messaging we pick up at a young age, right? The suit. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. And yet when you, when you think about how money operates, you know, there's a couple of key concepts. You know, the first is in the world of influence, we often look for social proof, right? And we hear this term a lot when, you know, in the world of business or marketing, right? Um, you know, I might have a, a million followers or, you know, I might have six best selling books or whatever. Um, but if I walk out on a stage or if you walk out on a stage in front of a thousand people, like people don't even care how many best-selling books you have or whatever, right? Because you're in front of a thousand people. Like the sure. mere fact that you're in front of a thousand people is social proof enough. They'll buy whatever you're selling. You get what I'm saying? Because there's yep. just social proof in the room. And there's also a concept that isn't talked about as much, but Susie Carter, actually, who's my partner on the Evolutionary Business Council now, yay, <laughs> yay for me to bring in a genius like yeah. Susie Carter, because she's a money genius, Right. But she introduced me to this concept of monetary proof, right? Okay. Which is, and we don't think about it a lot, but when we decide who we want as a business mentor, the guy driving the Ferrari is usually the one we feel more confident taking advice from than the guy who's driving an old jalopy that the fender's busting off of, right? And, and not to say, you know, there is a point where we just know someone has monetary proof. They could walk in in old ripped jeans and it wouldn't matter, right? Because we know they're a billionaire or whatever. 
but we know when people have a track record of being able to attract money, we naturally trust them more on the subject of money, right? right. Mm-hmm. So we've got this world of social proof and we've got this world of monetary proof. Now let's think about how these things play together, right? Because people wrap up all kinds of morality with money. And the fact is putting morality on money is like putting morality on a kitchen knife. Like a kitchen knife right. is a tool. You can kill someone with it. Yeah. You can also kind make a beautiful stir fry and share it with your family, right? Mm-hmm. And money is simply a tool. I like to think of it as the thing we use so we can tell how we're move, moving energy around the, the world, right? Yeah. It's like the placeholder, right? Like, you know, um, in the world of natural gas, they put they actually put a smell in natural gas. So you sure. can tell the natural gas is there, right? Money's like that, right? Money is just the placeholder we put for how we move ideas and how we move value and how we move um, promises and how we move, you know, integrity or, you know, all kinds of things. It's the placeholder for how we move all of that energy all around the world, right? So it's neither good nor bad. It's simply a tool, right? And it's the most powerful tool we have on this planet in my world next to influence. Influence also a tool, right? You can use your influence for good and you can use your influence for bad. You can use your money for good and you can use your money for bad, right? So the balancing act is is what? Absolutely. Yeah. You know, and it, it is a balancing act, right? And when we learn to use both of those tools effectively, that's where we can start to have a life of deep, deep impact, right? Like think about people like Mother Teresa. Mm-hmm. Mother Teresa was a multi, multi-millionaire. In fact, some people say possibly billionaire. Really? She raised hundreds of mm-hmm. millions of dollars for her not-for-profit company right. that helped street people in Calcutta. Now, I know that's an interesting way to describe Mother Teresa. Sure. But she raised hundreds of millions of dollars for her cause. Yes. She was highly influential. Yes. And she brought that influence (laughs) and that money to bear on the mission of her life, which was not only to help street people, but change the way we thought about the untouchables in India. Yeah. And you know, what's interesting is that, that the real influencers, the mother Teresa's, the Terry Fox's, the people, they, it doesn't go away when they die. It stays. Yeah. Yeah. That's the legacy that we create. Right. And that's where like people sometimes confuse, like um, you can buy influence with money. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like wealthy people can go out and they can pay for influence, but it's very ephemeral when you've paid for it. Like, uh, you know, as soon as the the budget's gone, the influence is gone. You know what I mean? Like a lot of the wealthy are now hate to say it, but buying their way onto the New York Times bestseller list, right? There's a company out there where you can pay them a lot of money. And if you pay them enough, uh, an unlimited budget, they'll guarantee you hit number one, right? Right. And um, so a lot of the wealthy are thinking it's, oh, it's on my bucket list. It's okay. Book. Right. So they, <laughs> pardon me, hire a ghostwriter, work with this company, you know, it's kind of tainted the whole list, right? Yeah, but, I think but, so. But the other thing that happens when they do that is their book doesn't stick around. Right. Right. So it's kind of easy to tell who they are because, you know, the people who put a book on New York Times, I feel bad for the legitimate authors. They're often sitting down at number six or number seven on New York Times. Right. And they work their butt off to get there. And all these wealthy people are up above them. But it's that book that's down here that usually sticks around. 
it's right. on the on the list the next week and the next week and the next week right so you can start to tell who they are because true influence that's based on merit mm-hmm. tends to hold <clears throat> let's talk about just for a second let, let's because people are listening they're going oh you know what i get calls all the time people are they can you know make give me thousands and thousands of people who are going to follow me mm-hmm. i mean i always go no i don't want your help but yeah I mean, from what we're just talking about, I probably shouldn't want their help, but that's buying influence in a way you're, you're buying numbers, but it doesn't mean that they're buying anything from you. You're just buying numbers. Yeah. I, eyes in front. And maybe they no, look some at maybe of them are them. legitimate marketing campaigns that are just helping you get in front of people that might like your content. And in that case, it's not necessarily bad, but if they're buying random users like there's you know there's sites out there you can go buy a thousand facebook fans yes yes. usually usually they go away after a few months like you know the numbers don't stick right and you know i think it's important to think about that influence isn't just the numbers the numbers are a reflection of the influence they're one of the better measures of influence but you know how engaged is your following like are they commenting are they liking because that's how you start to see are they actually taking action based on what you suggest, right? Right. So if you have a show or a big YouTube channel or something like that, can you actually get to move people to do something more advanced or, or go to another channel or something? Can you get them to take action based on your channel, you know? Right. And I think the true measure of a lot of influencers out there is like if they offered some kind of paid program with the people in their following, would at least 5% of them buy it? You know, and, you know, a lot of cases, yes, the answer is yes, like right. they're that influential and people will pay money to go and improve their lives. Right. But if, you know, if you can't even sell a single program or, you know, get them to take any kind of action further, then you're not really influencing to the level of impact. But you could up that game. Absolutely. You know, that's one of the things we focus on a lot in the Evolutionary Business Council, Right. Um, because we work with companies, you know, our vision is a conscious, sustainable world, right? Right. So we work with companies that are helping to push out greater consciousness, um, greater sustainability. So like better products, better thinking around health. And we help them use education marketing, not my term, term coined by Justin Livingston, but we help them use education marketing to become more influential, profitable, and impactful, right? Um, Because the important thing is, when you are an influencer, if you're not actually getting to people to take action, their lives will never change. Right. Right. Yep. Like the point of transformation or the point that a life evolves is the point at which people take action on the insight they're getting. Right. Otherwise, there'd be no obesity on this planet. Right. Because I don't think there's a person on the planet that doesn't know what causes obesity. Right. You're not moving enough and you're eating too much. Right. I mean, there are. Ex- it, there are exceptional cases that are medical issues, and I'm sure. not talking about that. But for the, for the most part, we understand what causes obesity, and you can stop it, right? But until people take action, until they book the counselor or, you know, go um, create, create a diet and stick to it with tenacity, the obesity is never going away. All things in life are like that right? We can have all the insight we want. We can have all the vision of a more abundant life, a more healthy life, whatever it is we want to change. We can sit and chant Abraham Hicks or whatever, and, um, you know, have a beautiful vision of where we want to get to. But until we take action on what we're learning and what we're seeing, nothing will change in our lives. 
right? So it is actually the point we call that in the evolutionary business council, we call that mobilization. Can you mobilize your following to action, right? Right. And it's actually that distinction is where the impact happens, right? So when you take influence and you take profit, you know, when you start taking social proof and monetary proof and you start to use those as tools to get people changed, that's where the impact happens. So we need to change ourselves first. Yes. And then we need to change the rest of everybody else. Yeah. And if, if and, you, you know, I mean, you're not going to be a great leader, I thought, in, in the weight loss industry, if you're overweight, it's just not going to happen. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. you have to you have to make that positive change first. Yeah. And I don't think people expect us to be perfect. Um, You know, because, you know, as the leader of the EBC, I often talk about my own limitations, you know, like I have a learning disability in moments of high stress, it often shows up as significant memory issues. Like at my wedding, I introduced my maid of honor and my bridesmaid backward, (laughs) right? Like people I'd known 20 years backward. And that's, that stems from my learning disability and the fact that I struggle with how I process thought, especially when I get in high stress situations. Right. And, um, you know, for me to not be a real human being and talk about where I struggle, like one of the thing, one of the reasons I just brought Susie Carter into the evolutionary business council for, for those of you who don't know who Susie Carter is, she's, she's a best-selling author of four books and has built 12, multi-million dollar companies and is known in our industry for taking companies into the six and seven figure realm very rapidly. Right. And she saw what we were doing in the EBC and she said, you know, you're never going to get there until you bring in profit. Like you've, you've got like, especially when COVID hit, we saw that in spades, right? Like we had all these highly influential businesses we were helping and they started like some of them started going under you know, shutting the doors. And we're like, oh my God, we've been focusing on helping them become profitable. And now all of their ships are sinking. Right. And so we had to do something. We had to pivot as a business because we realized I personally realized, and this was my vulnerability. I was role modeling for our members that money wasn't important, (gasps) you know, and I could get away with that because I've been financially free since my forties, you know, because I am, I'm pretty solid on money but I wasn't bothering to teach that to the members. I was only teaching influence, right? And um, so I think as leaders, we have to be prepared to talk about our own vulnerabilities, our own humanity, and our following never expects us to be perfect, but they do expect us to be honest and authentic. And we have to have a victory over whatever we're teaching, right? Like, so if I was still struggling, I, you know, I couldn't dare teach influence if I wasn't influential myself. You know, I couldn't bring in the profit pillar if I didn't run a profitable business. And in fact, the reason, you know, we've now merged with Susie Carter, there's now three of us been on the evolutionary business council with Pam Bain, but um, we brought in Susie because she's known throughout the world as a profit genius, you know? Right. Right. I think that's, that's important. I think it's important to show your vulnerabilities because like you aren't perfect. And it, I think it develops trust faster when you show. I was very, very surprised and pleased this week. I don't know if you saw Linda Evangelista came out on People to show what happened after a, a cosmetic procedure. I mean, she was the one of the world's top, top supermodels for 25 years. And she had um, uh, she had her fat frozen. It's supposed to like get rid of it. Well, it increased it. And she's got lumps everywhere. She didn't show her face for five years. She goes, you know oh, what? Wow. I'm tired of living inauthentically. I'm going to tell people what happened to me. 
And, you know, if you're thinking about having this procedure, probably eight times, nine times out of 10, it's safe. But that one time it wasn't safe and it took away her livelihood. It took away everything. And so, you know, kudos to her for coming out and being so brave on the cover of of people and showing people these lumps and all over her body. And the doctors cannot help her. It is solid. It's not even a fat that's that it's solid. It doesn't move. And, and there's somebody who's authentic. There's somebody you would trust. She's been in that business for so long and she's saying, look what happened to me. Yeah. So let's, you know, let's and try fact, to do something she could different. now leverage off of that and talk about inner versus outer beauty. And yes, like, you know, like often we start our influence in one place and then we realize there's a whole journey we could take it into. Right. And um, so I love it that she's talking about that. I love it that she's Me come too. out and being vulnerable because often our biggest vulnerability, like the reason I started teaching influence, the reason I became fascinated with influence was because I had none. You know, like as a child, I'm the youngest of a really big Northern Canadian family, right? And um, so as a child, you know, we used to spend our, our summers in a remote backwoods cabin. My family was my whole world. So I spent a lot of time following my siblings around and, you know, trying to be heard, trying to be included. You know, you know how nobody wants the baby around, right? And um, so really, when you think about it, a lot of my inner dialogue that I still, you know, have to work on as an adult is around things like I'm too small to play with the big kids or I'm not important, you know, and that inner dialogue is the very thing that spurred me to, to start really studying, like, what makes people listen to people? Um, geez, how, how come that little kid is being listened to by a million people right now? Um, you know, how come she gets to speak at the UN and she's only 14? Like, I really started to dive into, in my own inquiry from a very young age, what makes people influ- influential? And that I carried that passion of looking at that well into my adulthood, right? So often that thing that we think of as, our biggest limiter, our biggest challenge, the thing that took us down or, you know, the biggest disaster we lived in our life, often that actually becomes the very impetus of what we want to become an expert or known for or the the mission we want to have in life. Yeah. And, you know, Steve Jobs talked about that too. Yes. It's, yeah. yeah, I think it's really important that you understand what you're, what you're selling, what, what your message is and, you know, where is your greatest area of impact for who you are. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, we talk about learning and we talk about continuous learning because you can't just live off your, your laurels. I don't think you have to come up with new stuff. Don't you? <laughs> I would agree. Continuous learning. Yeah. You will not find an influential person who isn't dedicated to continuous learning. So if you have, um, uh, you talk about something for, you know, this, this is what I talk about. I talk about influence and I talk about it, blah, blah, blah. And then now do you keep adding to that, to that talk. You keep, well, we've learned something oh, this absolutely. year. Like we learned something it this year. So now we got profit. Oh, we learned something. Now we've got, you know, this. Yeah. And, and, yeah. you know, it was interesting during COVID when I heard people all over the place say, oh, the doctors don't know what they're talking about. They're lying to us. I go, are they lying or are they learning new things? Are they learning what they didn't know? And now they're relaying that information to you. Is that a lie? No, it's not a lie. It's we didn't know. Now we know. It's a generous yeah. way of viewing the world. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, that's how I see it. And and I I hate to, you know, call people out and go, you're a liar. Like that just is such a big word to me. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. And it's reflective of the people's inner dialogue who are saying it, right? Like, do you see in general a friendly world or an unfriendly world? Yeah. Do you see a world of people who generally want to support each other? Or do you see a world of conspiracists and people who are out to get you? Right. And I'm not saying both don't exist. They obviously do. But what are you constantly looking for really impacts how you live your life, how you view things, how abundant you become, how successful in business you are. You know, if you're in business and you think all your colleagues are out to get you, you're not going to be well liked (laughs) in your organization. Right. Yes. So it's important to look at what's our dominant viewpoint in the world. You know, I remember when I first worked, uh, moved to Costa Rica and, um, you know, a, a single woman in a foreign country, I was a little nervous to like go out at night and drive at night. Right. And, you know, of course, you've seen all these Hollywood movies about Latin America and drug lords or whatever. And But a lot of locals were saying, well, there's bad neighborhoods in Costa Rica, like everywhere. But in general, it's a really safe country. You know, like the laws are really great here and the people are incredibly friendly. Right. Well, about a month after I first moved here, I'm out driving at night and I get a flat tire. And I'm in a little town, you know, probably about 10 minutes from where I live. And my first reaction was almost terror. Like, it's nighttime. What's I'm a woman to alone in a foreign country. And my Spanish isn't good enough to communicate, right? Well, I get out of the car and there's a young man halfway down the block. So I call him over in, in, in my broken Spanish and say, necesito ayuda. <laughs> you know, I need help. And he immediately goes and gets his whole family out. They get their jack out. Within about five minutes, the entire town is standing around me. They're bringing me water to drink, making sure I'm okay, um, giving me reassurance. Even though there's a language barrier, the women bring a chair out for me to sit on. The men change my tire. They let me know it's all okay. I'm safe. The town is safe. You know, and it was like one of the best ways to meet some of my neighbors. I now know all those people. I can say hi to them on the street, right? So that flat tire was actually one of the best experiences I could have had for an introduction to Costa Rican culture, which is they are one of the warmest, friendliest, have your back kind of cultures you'll ever run into, right? And it was paradigm shattering for me, like paradigm shattering. Now I drive out at night and I'm like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think we should talk about that for a second because, you know, with, with the evolutionary business council, you moved it to Costa Rica. I mean, you have a village there, like talk about exciting and yeah like yeah I'm originally Canadian and I just you know I I got to a point especially once my kids were grown and moving all over the country you know they they frequently move my children they're a bit nomadic um but uh you know I realized why am I living in a state of perpetual winter you know and it's not quite that bad but Um, and you know, we were talking about developing some kind of community in Canada. And then I realized if I'm going to develop a community, I might as well do it in paradise. Yeah. You you don't want to do it here. So we came down to Costa Rica and we found this beautiful little Valley and a number of members of the evolutionary business council bought lots together. Like, you know, we all bought side by side land. There's still some land for sale. So we're still wanting to attract more people into the community. But um, we're just having fun. We're building a food forest. We've got a little retreat center. We're all building houses here in the community. It's really neat when you can walk down the street and you have thought leaders for neighbors. Yeah. You know, Um, like one of our neighbors has been nominated for a Nobel Peace Prize. And, you know, another has a syndicated television show that reaches over 80 million people, you know. So it's kind of neat. It's um, it's sort of my unashamed attempt to pick my neighbors, you know, because (laughs) I do believe 
that you become like the people you hang around the most. And so I like to hang around with people who stretch me and like encourage me to be bigger than I think I can be not from an arrogant standpoint, but from an impact standpoint, like, Oh, you know, what if I could live to 130 and really see if I could change a billion lives on the planet? I know that sounds ridiculously outrageous, you know, but what if it was possible, you know? And I I think life gets a lot more fun when we stand in possibility and act like maybe you could do it, you know? Um, Just life gets more fun when you live from a place of possibility and live from a place of seeing a friendly world that that you can have impact on rather than seeing a, a world full of conspiracy and evil. And I'm not, I'm please don't think I'm ever saying both don't exist, yeah. but which one are you going to interact with and help grow yeah. and help? Yeah. My husband says I live in a world of pixie dust and unicorns and I go, yeah. but that's, I choose that. I choose yeah. to believe that people are good. I choose to believe that when I go out, things are going to, yeah. you know, you're going to give me back my money for items I purchased or they're going to, he goes, well, they're not going to give you your money, but yeah, they are. Yeah, they are. Don't just wait. You'll see. Because yeah. I, I go there with that optimism, I think. And with that, it's an understanding between me and that person unconsciously that things are just going to happen in, in a good way. And I think, yeah. I think that works. It works for me. I, I, like I think so too. I, I think if you can approach the world, like it's a friendly place and yet be prepared to act or react if it's not, Like, so I'm not suggesting anyone go out and be so naive as to think you could go into a bad neighborhood unaccompanied at midnight or, you know, don't do that. (laughs) Like, you know, don't like, I'm not encouraging people to be idiots, but if you generally approach the world as if it's a friendly place and, um, and give people the, the right to earn your trust, you know, give people the right to earn the trust, your trust, trust can be built and um, assume they want to, you know, um, it's not, you know, because there are sociopaths in the world. There are people who want to bully you or hurt you, but it's not hard to pick them out once you run That's into right. them, right? That's right. And all you have to do is move away from them and move toward people who aren't. That's really all it takes, right? Move away from the ones who would hurt you. Move away from the ones who are um, only out for their own good and can't think win-win, you know? You know, it's really interesting. And in, in, when you look at a social experiment with COVID and before COVID, everybody like, their faces are covered. We don't like that. Their faces are covered. And now everybody's face is covered and we had to deal with it. And now yeah. we don't even think twice about it. I know. Isn't that funny? Eh? Yeah. 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 The yeah. world has shifted. Yeah. Really shifted. And now yeah. it goes back. It's like, they don't have a mask on. Put your mask on. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that funny? Like the outrage we had 10 years ago at people wearing masks. And yeah. Now we're, yeah. How yeah. we change. How we change. It's, we're, we're, we're interesting. Humans are interesting at the very least. Yeah. <laughs> Teresa, it's been really great catching up with you and, and talking about influence with you. And I'm sure a lot of people who watch this and listen to this are going to want to become more impactful. And your book Thanks. is on Amazon. Yeah. And um, what else if should they know? The book.com, we give you all the links for where the book is, Amazon, iBooks, iTunes. In fact, we still give the digital version away for free at the moment as an anniversary oh, special for the book. Um, yeah. And if people are interested to find out more about the Evolutionary Business Council, they can feel free to hop on one of our, um, we have monthly enrollment calls. So just come to ebcouncil.com and, um, and check us out if you think it might be a fit for you. Excellent. Well, 
I'm going to take us off Facebook. Goodbye, Facebook. It was very lovely being with you guys. <laughs> and I'm just going to stop my recording.